Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bring, bring it back. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi guys, I'm Jim. Uh, I'm a Leicester City fan here on the EPL Roundtable. You can find me on Twitter at JimNightTweets. Hi, I'm Jake Arbert, Newcastle fan, and you can get me on Twitter at JakeJackson with two N's. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining me today, guys. Uh, we're going to start off not talking about Arsenal, which people might be surprised by or not, since the host is a Tottenham supporter. But I feel like every week we'd just be talking about Arsenal winning again, likewise for Newcastle. Every week we could be like, oh, Newcastle won again. Um, but let's kind of flip the script a little bit from that Arsenal-Chelsea match to talk about Chelsea, because when Graham Potter took over, it was a, a fairly uh, highly applauded appointment by a lot of uh, football nerds, myself included, uh, even though I was frustrated that a good manager was going to Chelsea. They got a lot of results when he first joined, but that's kind of papered over the cracks that the attack really hasn't been firing since he took over. Uh, he took over as manager on September 8th. Since then, Chelsea have scored the 10th most goals in the Premier League and are 17th in expected goals. And I was just curious, your guys' thoughts on, on what he could do to get the Chelsea attack firing again, and if you think he'll be able to, or if this is a, a player issue rather than a system one. I mean, you look at what he was able to do at, at Brighton. Granted, they were never as prolific as he would want his Chelsea team to be. So, obviously, that's not an apples-to-apples apples comparison. But for me, a lot of the problem probably stems from the player side of things. Like He's obviously a very, very good coach, and I think he'll come good in time. The issue might be you're on one of the hottest seats in football at Chelsea, and you need to deliver and pretty quickly. Um, I think especially when you're a coach like Graham Potter, who doesn't necessarily have the household name appeal of like a, a Jose Mourinho um, or even the kind of fan good graces of a, a Frank Lampard um, from previous appointments. If you look at how ruthless they were with Thomas Tuchel, who did amazing things in his relatively short tenure and then um, wasn't able to kind of carry that forward and, and, and got the sack, then you know, you've got to say that no manager's any more than maybe a two or three month bad run away from, from losing his job, regardless of previous achievements. So Potter can't really rely on on that, um, even though he, he had, as you said, Kevin, a relatively good start. Um, the question mostly for me is around the players and the system and how they're kind of trying to fit that in. It was a weird summer anyway um, of recruitment for Chelsea because... Um, they they obviously brought in players like Sterling and Aubameyang, um, weirdly, but like the the system never really presented itself of how they were going to make the most of those players when you've already got players like Pulisic, players like um, Havertz, players like Mao. Like, how do you fit all of these players in? You obviously got Conor Gallagher coming back from his loan spell as well. Like, who's been a really really effective 
forward threat for Palace um, in the past, and yet it's kind of being deployed in a more defensive um, role and just gets himself booked every game, seemingly. Um, so I think it's more about getting the a cohesive lineup and a cohesive system. Like they started out playing Sterling through the middle, then obviously a Bamiyang sign. So he's there, but he's not the long-term solution. He's 33 and has been kind of punted around, obviously from, from Arsenal to Barcelona and back again. Like he's not your long-term solution. So I'm sure Potter's got a more long-term solution in mind, but they just don't seem to be able to create enough at the moment, which is weird considering they've got a lot of creative players. They just can't seem to get them to do what they need to at the right time. And, you know, you look at the the league at the moment and they're sitting seventh as we record this. Granted, they're above Liverpool um, and, and just behind Man U, but like, and the table's pretty tight, but that's not going to be a good position for for Potter for very long. Like He's going to need to deliver a top four um, challenge, if not position. Um, so he's got to kind of start figuring this out quite quickly. Maybe the World Cup will give him some breathing room and obviously then you come back into a January transfer window where they might be able to make some moves. Um, the money, I'm not sure what will be there in terms of spending and obviously recruiting for that position is the most expensive in football. So trying to buy a 20-goal-a-season a striker is easier said than done. So, yeah, it just seems like there's too many, too many pieces and not quite fitting together at the moment and he's obviously trying to figure out his best team which I appreciate is not easy to do when you join a club like halfway through well partway through a campaign but he's also not going to get the um the the goodwill to, to do that for too much longer so yeah I'd be interested to see what you guys think on it because um it's, it's certainly a quandary for him and it, it's going to get worse the, the longer it goes on like this yes it's a it's an interesting one, Potter at Chelsea, because he's actually his results have been mostly fine. It's only the last week that it's sort of gone downhill. They were minutes away from beating Manchester United a couple of weekends ago, and that probably would have put a different glean on, on their league position. Um, so yeah, I think he has experimented a lot, and I think that he's not going to get the same wiggle room he got at Brighton. Um, you'd, you'd have thought it was a good fit at Chelsea with the, the formation they play, the, the sort of three at the back. But I, I sort of looked into Raheem Sterling this week. Um, for EPL and uh, um, fortunately enough, I've got I did look at some data, uh, and I sort of looked at it and thought, has Sterling been playing that badly? But when you compare him with it with the other Chelsea players, he's sort of up. He's uh, got the most expected goals and second most expected assists. So he's within the system. He's actually playing very well. It's, I think the system is holding him back and holding the team back, and it's making it difficult to create those clear cut chances. Um, the main reason of that are, are twofold. I think under Tuchel, they were firstly a very good defensive team. I think they sort of lost that a little bit. So they're winning a lot of games 1 0, 2 0. And um, so they weren't large, big margin, and they weren't sort of um, blowing teams away. It wasn't, there weren't a lot of goals, there weren't a lot of chances. It was low margin football, and they've sort of lost that in the last few weeks. They've been conceding a lot of more chances. They've had defensive injuries. Um, lost Rudiger, which has obviously been a big miss, I think. Um, but then Kula Bali is quite the same player in the Premier League. I think Rudiger suits Premier League football. I also think that this season, um, Rhys James has been injured and Ben Joel has been slowly easing back into the team and he's obviously picked up a serious injury this week. And I think a lot of their attacks under Tuchel came through those wing-backs and they've not been able to have them both there at the same time, which has hurt them quite a lot. And I think the, the second thing that's hurt them quite a lot is the, the absence of N'Golo Kante. It's really upsetting the the... Um, chemistry in that midfield they don't have the quite the right combination to play this formation 
they're having to play Gallagher, who's not quite the same player, or they're having to play Jorginho with Loftus-Cheek or Jorginho with Kovacic. It's quite not the same blend as having Kante. It sort of does the running of two players, as Jim will know. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a lot of factors to it. I think Kante is the one that makes that formation work, and I think the wing-backs make it work. And if you lose one piece, it becomes slightly flawed. If you lose both pieces, it's a formation not worth going on with, and I think they're seeing that with Chelsea. I think Potter needs to move away from the three at the back. Um, I think the best thing for him will be the World Cup break. He'll have time to watch back the matches, sort of have a real deep think into how he wants to go forward with the squad. I don't think he's got that time at the moment. This is so many games taken fast that he doesn't have that reflection time. So I think that'll be important for him. And I think getting those three players back in particular will be important. Um, but yeah, I don't think it's a personal issue. I think it's a system issue. And I think they're sort of wedded to that three at the back. And hopefully as they go through the transfer windows, hopefully they'll give him some time and get some players in that he wants. Um, because we saw how he managed to mould that Brighton team. I think that Brighton team would be in a similar position to Newcastle had he stayed there. Um, Obviously, I think the, the new manager there is very good, but I think he needed a little bit of adjustment time. We saw that slight drop off, the seen them drop off the pace. Um, so, yeah, I think he's worth persisting with, but I think there's just a lot of issues there with the personnel and the system. Um, I don't think the attackers are bad players. I just think the system isn't geared to get them the chances they need, um, and they need those three players back. If they don't get them back, they need to reformulate how they play. Gotcha. Yeah, I, that is a really interesting point. And I feel like every conversation uh, we have this week and next week will be a little tinged with the fact that there is going to be this huge breaking club football uh, that's about to happen. And as you say, managers will have plenty of time to kind of review what they've been doing, what's been working, what hasn't. Uh, so I think it's a really great point. Um, with that ability uh, to, to review everything going into um, the World Cup and then coming out of it basically straight into the January transfer window. Uh, how much of this do you think is fixable by Chelsea and how high do you think they can ultimately finish in the table this year? It's definitely fixable. Um, and I think Potter's shown that he can work with um, a lot less in the sum of their parts. No disrespect to Brian, but if you look at what he achieved there that got him the move to Chelsea in the first place, he's clearly a very talented, capable coach and has seemingly been wherever he's, he's taken up. Um, a job so he can do it and Jake Jake's got a good point in terms of you know were they to beat Manu they put a very different spin on a league table that's very very tight and you know actually if you take Man City and Arsenal out of it it's very very close at the top so like they could easily finish in in the top four this year um they're only five points off now um and you know they obviously have the squad in terms of quality to deliver that, but Jake's point is correct in the sense of like the injuries and you know just touching what you said about Kante, like the guy is, but he's a cheat code. He's like playing with twelve men, twelve men every week, and I think you can't you can't replace that. I don't think there's anyone in world football that does what he does as well as he does. Um, and obviously his his injury is going to be massive for Chelsea, or has been massive for Chelsea, and is going to be huge for France's chances of the World Cup as well. Um, so that that's a massive um, issue for them in, in terms of how they go about it. But I think the World Cup break will allow him the opportunity to to hopefully figure things out and put a system in place for when he return when you know all these players return because um, he won't get a chance to work with a lot of the squad. So many of them will be away, but at least he should be able to have the the, the plan formulated in his head and and get it right in the second half of the, the season. Um, 
they could finish in the top four. I'm not sure if they will, though. I, I can see, obviously, Brighton dropping off a little bit, but you've got foot, uh, Liverpool that are below them at the moment. So, in theory, they could pick up um, based on a strong second half of the season, potentially. And, obviously, then you've got Newcastle, Tottenham, Man City and Arsenal. So, it's kind of like, which one of those teams are you kicking out if you put your Chelsea in? So, I think... I'd have them fifth or sixth at the moment. I don't think they'll necessarily get a top four finish just because I think the fine margins and that adjustment time might mean that they're a little bit off pace compared to some of their uh, competition. And also those injuries are relatively longish term as well. Um, you know, they've been missing some of those players for a little while now and, and look set to for a little bit longer. So, yeah, I'd, I'd have them fifth or sixth at the moment. Yeah, it's difficult. I think the, the main thing they need to do is is get those players back. Um, I also think they'll probably spend some money in the January transfer window. I think we know that Tom Burley's not not afraid to spend a bit of money, so I think we'll probably see that. Um, it'll be interesting how they go. I think they need to back Potter and get the players he wants. Um, I don't think you bring Graham Potter in and expect him to deliver in a couple of months. I think that's unfair. He's not that type of manager. So if they wanted somebody like that, um, they could have you know gone out and got got the, the typical high high profile manager uh, and sort of gone for, gone that direction. They could have gone and got. Um, Poch, who maybe isn't that quite the same type of manager, but he's definitely more proven than Graham Potter. I think when they gave Potter a chance, they wanted to really replicate that Brighton business model on a larger scale. They've obviously taken a lot of recruitment staff from Brighton as well. I think if, you, if you've made that decision, you've got to stick in and buy into it and give him two or three transfer windows to turn it around. Yes, there might be some short-term pain. Um, I, I agree with Jim. I don't see them finishing them in the top four. I don't think it's beyond them, but... I feel like when you get to this point in the season, it, it, it's probably going to be different if you have the World Cup. It, it adds an interesting dimension. But we sort of see when a team gets on that hot streak, they sort of stay there. When a team sort of muddles through and struggles, that sort of remains as well. You very rarely see a team in, in the Premier League, you see it much more in the EFL, but you very rarely see a team in the Premier League start really poorly and then become a really good team uh, and vice versa. Whatever, whatever part of the league you, you sort of operate in. Um, which is sort of with, with Leicester when they won the league. That's quite incredible. We've seen it with Leicester before as well, getting into sort of the top five. Uh, sort of West Ham too. Then we've seen it with, with Chelsea several times when they, when they sort of muddled through and had a poor season. They've stayed sort of lower mid-table. Seen it with, with Arsenal, Liverpool a couple of well, one time in sort of this year as well. You very rarely see them turn it around. So I just don't expect to see Chelsea do it. It's such a season where it's games every few days. It's just not the time to do it. So I think they've given part of the chance. They need to stick with it. But getting to the top six, I think that's a reasonable building block. Um, and then you've got to back him given the players he needs because I don't think they currently have them. But yeah, I don't think it's irretrievable. They've still got, it's still so early. They've got so many options open to them in terms of finishing position. But um, yeah, I just hope that if they sort of stay where they are and sort of finish in the top between five and seven, they need to they need to give him that time because he's not the manager that you expect quick results from. That's what you do if you bring in a Conte or a Mourinho, you expect quick results. You expect it from a Potter. He's never had a job of this stature before. You need to give him time. And hopefully they'll do that. Um, we'll wait and see if they, if, they, if they do or not. Yeah, I think the Poch analogy is a good one because they're both like philosophy first managers and like culture building managers. And those are obviously things that take a lot longer to establish at a new club uh we'll move on there to talking about other managers um a, a couple of weeks ago we mentioned that it was uh probably likely that Aston Villa and Wolves would both wait until after the World Cup to announce their new managers after they both missed on a couple of candidates and uh since then both of them have hired new managers uh Unai Anamari uh, already took charge at Aston Villa and led led them to their win 
against Manchester United today, Le Petigui, or however you're supposed to say that, um, has been confirmed by Wolves, but won't start until after the World Cup. I was just curious what you made of these two appointments and which one you think fits better at their new club. Um, I think the first thing to say when you've got two coaches joining middling Premier League teams um, like this is the fact that the Premier League is still the biggest draw in terms of domestic football for players and managers. Like, I, I think that is abundantly clear when you've got managers leaving clubs like Villarreal um, for for jobs like Villa or, or Wolves, um, with no disrespect to, to the fans of those clubs. Obviously, some storied history there on both sides. But if you look at their standing in terms of, of the clubs that these managers have, have coached in the past, the, the international teams in uh, Lopetegui's case is, you know, um, is it there as well um, with his stint in Spain, but like his Real Madrid, Sevilla and then Wolverhampton Wanderers, um, it sticks out, right? So I think that's the first thing to say when you, you're talking about this, but it's it's exciting as a fan of, of the league because you get to see these managers up close and personal every week, whereas you don't as much when um, they're in, in Spain or, or other countries because obviously the, the coverage of... Spanish football in this country is a joke now um, and you, you don't get that kind of first-hand access anymore um, outside of like the Champions League and, and Europa League competitions. So, yeah, that's the first thing to say, I guess. Um, I think that their styles will be interesting to see how they kind of like try and influence those clubs. Obviously, Wolves have historically been quite a defensive-minded team. Um in the last few years and you can see that in the coaches that they've gone after with with Nuno and, and Bruno Large especially in this, the way that they set up but the fans I think just want excitement and some free-flowing football which you can understand I think that's the main gripe with a lot of managers that go down that route these days you know it's an entertainment um it's a sport but it's, it's there for entertainment as well and people just get frustrated if they're not able to be entertained so hopefully that's something that Lopetegui will be able to um to take on obviously it's it's a slightly weird Thing that he's he's take he's been named as the coach, but he's just kind of setting things out for a little bit until after the the World Cup, which you you understand. But and obviously it will give him time to impress what he wants upon the players. Um, but yeah, it must be slightly weird knowing that he's he's there but not there. Um, the everything obviously maybe a little bit more familiar with him based on his his Arsenal reign and um, he he did okay at Arsenal. Like he, he wasn't incredible, but. He could definitely do a job for Villa. Like, if you look at what they did today, obviously I haven't seen the highlights yet because, again, the broadcast in this country is ridiculous and you only get one game at a time um, for the most part. So we'll have to kind of digest that a little bit. But it's a, it's an amazing start to, to beat Manchester United. It will certainly um, kind of get him into the, the fans' good graces to, to, to kick things off. But, yeah, again, they've got a squad that can play some really, really good football. We've seen that already at times um, this season and in seasons past. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how he takes that on. And these managers now will hopefully get, probably get back to a little bit in the transfer market as well. So they'll be able to put their stamp upon their respective clubs a little bit and see who they kind of want to make moves for. But it's just kind of, for me personally, like as someone who obviously you're going to be going against these managers twice a season going forward, but it's just exciting to see names like that being drawn to the Premier League because I think it's it's good and it enhances the product and enables us to kind of have a, a better experience knowing the fact there's such high quality coaches being um, picking up these um, these vacant jobs. 
Yeah, I think they're both interesting appointments. Um, Emery was very close to becoming Newcastle manager this time last year. Maybe there's some regret on his behalf that he didn't take that job. Uh, same way that's gone, and he's obviously seen Villa as a similar similar sort of club in in the Premier League, and thought he could come in and um, sort of you know correct that correct that maybe maybe use it as a mistake not taking Newcastle job, but he, he sees that as a as another chance to get in at a similar level. Um, obviously, Villa are very ambitious. Um, their ownership they want to be qualified for Europe. They want to be challenging for trophies. Um, it's obviously going to be. Very difficult for them, but I think Emery's the perfect manager throughout his career. He's he's done his best work at clubs that are sort of just outside the elite. And if you think that in Spain they're sort of a top three, um, and he was managing Villarreal and Sevilla, um, just outside that. I think with in England there's a top six. You've obviously Villa is just outside of that too. It's just there's just a few more teams in his way. So uh, it's very understanding. So I'd, I'd imagine him to do very well there. Um, wouldn't be surprised to see him get them into Europe or or maybe challenge for a domestic trophy. I'd, it's difficult though. I think there's, there is probably limits on what Villa can achieve, given the power of the top six. Obviously, Newcastle coming through, it's going to be difficult for them to to get into that top seven. Uh, not impossible, but obviously challenging. Um, the thing with him at Villarreal, that his team was sort of constantly sort of six or seven. They never really did push on, even when they're in the Champions League uh, and they won the Europa League of, um, a couple of years ago. They never really did push on and challenge for that top four. So maybe that's a concern for Villa. Um, that maybe a bit more of a club manager, but I think he's going to get them well set up. I think if you look at what Gerard had achieved before, prior to taking that job, it, you know, it's chalk and cheese what Emery is now. He's, he's a, a much higher quality manager, got that experience to Arsenal, got that experience winning trophies, and yeah, I think he's going to be a good appointment. Um, may, maybe doesn't have the personality to do well in England. We saw him sort of get um, some fun pointing towards him on social media by the media, and the media didn't really take to him. Um, so maybe that's going to be a challenge for him. Uh, I saw a lot of Villa fans after this actor that they wanted to get a manager that they can sort of identify with and really get behind. So I'm not quite sure Emery's that guy, but I guess if he's won a sort of match, it doesn't matter. And today was the perfect start. I think Lopetegui, yes, difficult one. I think Wolves have been trying to transition to a more attacking brand of football for a while. I think they brought Large in to do that. He, he, his Benfica team was, was quite attacking, but he never quite got on with the Wolves squad. He, he sort of... Um, Jefferson Cody out during the summer, didn't want him in the squad. I think that that did hurt how the players felt towards him because Cody was such a big figure. Um, and yeah, he never quite got to transition to that that more attacking uh, for the back system. So it'd be interesting if Lopetegui can. I think Wolves spent a lot of money during the summer. I think they spent around 80, 90 million, obviously getting Guedes, Nunes, among others. So I'm not sure there's going to be a great deal to spend there. Um, He's sort of going to have to get on with what he's got, and, and Ruben Neves is getting into the last six months of his contract. Maybe he's going to leave in um, January to, to join Barcelona. That seems to be where the, the rumours are, are pointed towards. So, it's going to be a challenging one for him. I, I've, I've got much more faith in Emery doing well, just because I think he's got the tools and the ownership to, to back him to, to carry out the job that he's been brought in to do. I just have a few more doubts about Lofotegi. I think that wall squad's going to be a really difficult one to manage at the moment. And just the atmosphere there seems so down at the moment. They've been struggling to score goals for two, three seasons since, since Jimenez got that really bad injury. Um, so, yeah, it's a challenging one. Um, yeah, it's, it's an exciting appointment. He's obviously won the Europa League, like Emery has in, in, in the last few, last few years, managed Spain, managed Real Madrid. It's a high-quality appointment. Um, but I just think that job's a very difficult one. Um, I think Emery's definitely got the, the bigger chance to succeed. But it's interesting to see that they've made that appointment quickly. Uh, and the rumours that today that, that Southampton might be looking to make a change um, this weekend too, so it'd be interesting to see if, if they get a similar appointment or if they go for a 
more of a British manager like Dyche, I think that's going to be a very interesting one to look at because Southampton seems to flip-flop between British manager and uh, exciting continental manager. So, yeah, I've got a, got an eye on that one. But, yeah, these two appointments, very good quality coaches. But, yeah, I've got more faith in Embry at Winston. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Wolves struggling after the injury to Jimenez. Of course, he's injured again. And then their only regular uh, recognized striker was Diego Costa, who then characteristically got a red card for headbutt. So, yeah, the attacking depth at Wolves not particularly strong at the moment. And this is an issue we're seeing across all of the top five leagues, um, and especially in England uh, in the Premier League, and then also England, the national team. Uh, already some key players set to miss out on the World Cup because of injuries. Uh, Chilwell and Reese James, we, we already talked about when we were talking about Chelsea. Uh, Calvin Phillips also looks set to miss out. H- how many injuries do you think we're going to see still in the buildup? Because just about anything that happens is going to cause somebody to miss the World Cup, and everybody's coming into this World Cup with tired legs from everyone playing their domestic leagues already. That's it. Like, it's, you know, you're right in the sense of any injury now rules you out of the World Cup. Like the most minor of two-week injuries or kind of 10-day injuries basically puts you on a bit of a trajectory not to be picked in the squads because managers don't have the luxury of bringing players normally that are unlikely to um, be able to, to play the whole time because obviously if you don't perform in your first three group games, then you're out potentially. So those it's a really weird scenario. and It's a stupid time to have a World Cup. We know this. It's just so disruptive and so kind of unrealistic to expect things like that to actually go without hitches and obviously now we're seeing the downside of this um there will be i'm sure there'll be some it wouldn't surprise me if some players are taking the foot off the gas a little bit and you can't really blame them because the world cup is you know for some players a once in a lifetime opportunity um especially if they're not a kind of a guaranteed um, squad player or, or first team pick for their respective country um, so to kind of protect themselves a little bit but I don't really see another way around it the problem is that you've got this World Cup that just sits there like a elephant in the room in the middle of a season and we've still got as many competitions we've not foregone anything in terms of the domestic um, calendar or the European calendar for that matter because everyone wants their pound of flesh kind of you know from a broadcasting perspective and from an ownership perspective so there's no wiggle room in the schedule and now you're just expecting people to to play even more football in a shorter period of time then to go to uh the world cup and then come back and do it all over again in with virtually no time to kick off uh to, to kind of rest and recuperate so it's a it's a really really frustrating situation because you could see a much lower quality um World Cup if if there's this spate of injuries in the next week or so that, that rules players out, which is a real shame because whatever your gripes with the tournament and, and where it's being held and when it's being held, you know, you I'm sure most of us as football fans still want the highest quality tournament to happen. Um and that's where losing players, you know, because of minor, relatively minor injuries is a real, real shame because there's just no prep time, there's no warm-up games, there's no kind of for most teams anyway, there's no kind of opportunity to, to build up to it. So, yeah, it's a real, real shame. You just hope that, obviously, for England's sake, um, that we don't suffer any more kind of absentees because we seem to be losing a fullback every week or so at this point um, in terms of their availability. So just kind of fingers crossed that we don't see many more. But it wouldn't. I, you can't blame players if they're taking the foot off the gas a little bit because of that as well. Yeah, I think next weekend is going to be, it might be the most passive 
week in the Premier League <laughs> yeah. football we've ever seen. Um, players trying to avoid injury. We saw it today in the Newcastle game. Kieran Trippier sort of looked to pull it, pulled his hamstring at one point, and, and it, everyone was sort of fearing the worst for it. But he came out and carried on. Um, and it, it would just be such a unique situation if <laughs> if we got to World Cup and England, after picking four or five right backs every every squad, are left to just Trent Alexander Arnold. I thought that would be quite ironic. But hopefully Trent is okay. He seemed to carry on and, and uh, got the assist in the second half. But yeah, kind of it. It was always going to happen this way. Um, as Jim said, sort of it went in the summer World Cup. You've got a few weeks after the season to sort of recover from those those knocks and niggles and get fit for the World Cup. Now, if somebody pulls a hamstring next week and is out for four weeks, they're not going to the World Cup. So it, it's yeah, it's really really strange. Um, I don't know what it's going to do for the actual football at the World Cup. Whether that's going to be good quality or not, you know, one school. Of- hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f- are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Thought would say it's in the middle of the season. They're not burned out from a full season. The other school thought would say, well, they've been playing twice a week for, for three months. They're probably not going to be quite at it, especially if they've not had that time to warm up. Um, with their national team. So I think we're going to see a few more injuries. Um, it's always going to happen. I think we're going to look back in, well, we're probably going to look back in a couple of months' time, but definitely in three or four years' time, we'll look back and think, that was the craziest idea. I don't, obviously, we all, we already think about the Qatar World Cup as it is, but we're, we're, we're definitely going to look back a few, few years' time and think that that was so stupid, uh, not only for the the human rights angle, but for the for the strain to put on the players. But at some point, the players need to rise up. The, the FIFA and the PFA need to really step in and have some sort of limit on on what players can do, how the schedule is. Um, there's too much football at the moment. Um, with the Champions League looking like it's going to increase in the amount of games, you've got the Club World Cup coming in. Um, still got the the Football League still want the Carabao Cup. You've got the FA Cup replays. It's just too much of it. You've got the Nations League. For, yeah, it's just too much football. At some point, something has got to give. And if we get a subpar World Cup in terms of players that are available in terms of quality of football, maybe that will make some sort of a statement and, and be a line in the stand, but uh, I'm not convinced it will be. I think it's going to need some sort of class action among the players. Uh, I just don't quite think that the PFA and the various national sort of players' unions have that have that desire at the moment, but they really should do because it's going to lead to a lot of injuries. And we're going to see a lot of players sort of like go down the Fernando Torres route of just, just sort of dying when they're in their late 20s and not, not continuing to perform to a high standard. Um, I think that's going to become more of a norm. We're going to see players peak in their early 20s and then just get run down by the amount of football they're playing. Yeah, I agree with you because 
the only way this is going to improve is if someone with some level of authority is willing to prioritize player safety and health over money. And thus far, no one has been willing to do that, including groups like Peep Bro. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a tough one to see how this is ever going to get better unless there's like some like such a high profile incident. Like, I don't even want to like think about this happening. But if Christian Eriksen had died from his heart attack on the pitch and the ruling was clearly because he was overworked or overplayed, maybe then that's like a big enough of a signal to the powers that be that this is like unacceptable what's happening to these players. Um, but short of something like something just truly horrendous like that, I don't know how this gets better. But um, the other side of this coin is that for every player that gets hurt, that's another player with an opportunity to make it into uh, a World Cup squad. I, I know, Jim, you wanted to talk a little bit about James Madison because despite being in pretty good form lately, he's kind of looking like he's on the outside looking in. Yeah, it's a really frustrating situation for a Leicester fan. Um, like myself, because we've seen firsthand, even though Leicester's form has been less than good um, over the last um, few months. As a whole, obviously, it's picked up quite a little bit in the in the last few weeks. But at that time where we were really, really kind of struggling, Madison was still the shining light in that um, that situation, and he just he's been in. I think one he's got one England cap. Um, he's been in one squad. And that was a few years ago now. Um, he's not been picked by Southgate, which I appreciate is partly down to his loyalty from the players that are have done really, really well. And look, I, you can't argue really with results compared to other England managers in our lifetimes. Um, Southgate has got England to a semi-final and a final in consecutive major Europe, uh, major tournaments, which is no small feat in itself, but it does seem that very, very hollow when he talks about picking form players, when you've got a player like Madison, who, you know, in the last year and a bit, year and a half, has been one of the most prolific in terms of goals and assists. I think I saw on at Sky did a comparison between selected players, and I think it's only Harry Kane that's got more goal involvements from an English player perspective since um, August 2021 so he was up there above uh, I think he's got 30 in total so I think it was 18 goals 12 assists up there ahead of players like Saka, Mount, Foden, Sterling, Grealish who you would think are the reasons that he won't be being picked um, if he was doing that for a club of the likes of Chelsea or Man City or, or Arsenal obviously he'd be eschewing so it's really frustrating as a fan of a, a club that aren't quite on that elite level um, certainly not anymore compared to a couple of years ago, but for a player who's seemingly not been able to to break into that squad, I don't know what else he needs to do, essentially. like He's basically single-handedly dragged Leicester through some games this season. He's performed at the best level I've ever seen him play, probably the best level he's ever played at um, in his professional career, and he's seemingly not even going to get a look in in the squad, which is super frustrating. And I don't know, you know, Jake watches a lot of football as well and maybe comes to this from a slightly similar perspective in the sense of like Newcastle players, I appreciate they've probably not got a lot of banging on the England squad for, for the exact same kind of um, situation because they have got a couple of players in the likes of Wilson and Trippier that will probably be in an initial squad at least. Um, but it's just really frustrating to see that kind of big club bias be played out compared to the, the form angle that, that Southgate insists that he's, he's picking his, his team on, essentially. 
Yeah, it's a difficult one for Southgate because I don't think you can manage a national team and pick form players and be successful. I think you need to have some sort of continuous uh, continuity in there. Um, I think we've seen that with France, Portugal. It's, it's a lot of the same. It's, so I sort of agree with it in that respect that you have to have some continuity. But at some point, once a player's been delivering for two, three seasons like Madison has, you have to sort of make that just to bring him into the fold. Like we saw Bowen get that chance and he... He'd been performing at a much, a sort of a much smaller period than, than Madison has. So I definitely have Madison in there. I just think Madison sort of he's a he's a victim of his own sort of playing style. He's not quite the natural fit for how Southgate plays in England. Southgate plays quite um, conservatively, three four three. Um, don't think I'd quite see him in one of the midfield roles because uh, he's got like two two sort of deep midfielders or, or a player like Bellingham who's, who's a little bit more all action in Madison. And I think when you look at the, the forward positions, you've got Kane and Sterling automatically going to take two of them because whatever people think of Raheem Sterling, he's been excellent for England for a good few years now. Um, and him and Harry Kane have an excellent relationship. They're probably one of the best partnerships we've seen in England for a long time. So those two have to play. And once you've got those two players, you've got Saka, who's been playing so well. Uh, you've got Mason Mount, uh, whether you like him or not. He's quite well suited for the pace of international football. Good Jack Grealish, who his directness and ability to keep the ball again suits international football. Um you've got Marcus Rashford as well. It's, it's so difficult for Madison to get into the squad because there's so much competition there. Um so I probably would have him in my squad, but if he doesn't go up, I don't I I can see why Southgate has made that decision. Uh, as, as harsh as that is for Madison, um, I don't think it's quite all the big club bias. I think we've seen other players get picked from Leicester. We saw Harvey Barnes get a go, James Justin. Um, we saw Bowen coming from West Ham. So I don't quite think it's that. I just think the way Southgate plays, he just doesn't quite fit. If Southgate moved to a four at the back and, and had that extra midfielder um, sort of in the number 10 position, or you can see Madison getting in the squad. But just, he's just... He's just unfortunate. I think he's just a victim of, of the time he's playing in and, and wearing the as a squad. Um, so yeah. No, think... you've got you've got a fair point there, Jake. To be fair, like if you're looking at the lineup as well, like I was saying this to my wife earlier actually because we were having this conversation about obviously Madison. She was asking why he's not in the team. Not that I'm any authority on on Gareth Southgate's thinking, but I also kind of said, look. Look at the players that are above him in that pecking order. Like he's not even going to get in the team, even if he's in the squad. So actually, is it better that I don't know? He'd love to go. I'm sure he would, but he's going to be putting the cones out of training and and carrying the drinks, right? He's not he's not going to get a start. We saw this with Vardy when he got picked for England um, when he was in his purple patch. Obviously, sitting behind Harry Kane in the pecking order, completely understand that Kane was in his his real ascendancy and kind of clearly becoming the Alan Shearer leading from the front um, England striker that was potentially going to go on and, and break Wayne Rooney's record, essentially, um, internationally, and looks on track to do that. Um, so I understand um, the, the rationale there. And if you essentially, if you're not going to start him or you're not going to utilise him, then don't pick him. Like, stick with the players that know the system better and have done well for you before. Um, I think it's, like I say, I would just be interested to see whether, I know, it's not all big kind of club bias, and maybe that's my my kind of frustration coming out. But I I would just be interested to see what would happen if he did do that for a Chelsea, a Man City, 
and Arsenal or Liverpool or Tottenham because we've seen it before with players from Leicester that have been picked but are actually in worse form and will get picked at bigger clubs. Like Harry Maguire will still get picked or has been getting picked despite the fact he's been abysmal for United. Ben Chilwell gets picked despite his Chelsea form when he was actually playing better at, at Leicester. Um, despite being in exactly the same position, so there is there is a little bit of that coming in, I think. But it's just, yeah, I'm almost, I'd be just as frustrated if he went and didn't get a chance to shine, um, which you're probably not going to get in a side like Southgate's, where he's so fiercely loyal to the players that have delivered for him over the last four or five years, which you can completely understand. But he would just be bench warming at that point, I think. Yeah, I, th- I think that another interesting sort of. One to watch over the over this week is is the backup striker because obviously Tammy yeah. Abraham's been in and Callum Wilson there, there seems to be a a small clamour in the media to include him and I think the difference between him and Madison is that I think if you take Callum Wilson he's going to be great around the camp he's going to sort of be like that Connor Cody figure in attack he's he's quite mature he's he's he went to the Nations League final I think Southgate knows he's going to be a good character I think there's still I think Southgate still have those doubts about Madison if he's not playing is he going to pull it that way. And I think actually that's a really really good point. Like the, I think part of the reason that he's not been picked since is I don't know if you remember this, but basically when he got picked last time, he pulled out injured from a from a game. I think it was probably only a friendly, and then he was pictured out like partying the night of the England game. I think he was in a casino because he'd kind of come home from the camp, and I think that has always stuck in Southgate's mind in terms of whether it's a fair reflection on his character now. Like he's a lot more mature now by all accounts and the interviews and stuff that he gives. He comes across very well, I think. But actually, I think stuff like that really sticks in people's minds. And you can't blame Southgate, actually, if that's his rationale for not picking him because that kind of character you might point at and say, you know, is that someone who is going to let us down if we put him in a situation where he doesn't see a minute of football across a tournament? Um, so it's a, it's a really, really good point. Hmm. All right, now we'll take a quick break and then we'll be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests. All right, and we are back. Jim will stay talking about Lester here. And we were just talking about uh, Madison and his uh, profile and all the, the other issues that might lead to him missing the World Cup. But I kind of want to talk about uh, the player that scored just a ridiculous goal yesterday in Yuri Telemans because I think the perception of Telemans uh, among neutrals is that he's like an incredible player he bangs in incredible goals you see great passes and highlight reels and stuff like that um but i was just curious what your thought of is him completely as a player because there have been plenty of opportunities for clubs to come in and get him including before he joined leicester and it seems like nobody ever feels like he's worth the price tag and i'm just curious your thoughts on on him coming off of yet again another wonder goal yeah i I've often said that I'm surprised he he came to Leicester um, because we had him on a six-month loan from Monaco when I think he'd fallen out with the coach. Uh, Or the coach didn't have him in his plans or whatever. So we had him for six months. And um, that summer, he was obviously available. And I think he was linked with Manchester United quite heavily. Um, And he ended up coming back to Leicester, which at the time was spun as a really fantastic, like, oh, really enjoyed my time there. want to go back, know the club, like that kind of situation. But... You're right, like he's still only 25. He's been playing top level football in terms of the, the Premier League and in Ligue 1 before. And for the Belgium national team, like he's got 50 caps for Belgium, or 50, 54, 55, I think. So like he, he's he's experienced as a professional for, for a 25 year old. Um, I think maybe the 
rationale is that he's he's obviously running his contract down now at Leicester. I don't think he'll sign the extension. So I think that's a big part of why no one's come in for him in the last 12, 18 months with the COVID situation having an impact on finances. Why pay for him now when you can get him for free at the end of the season? Um, but I think potentially the reason why no one has, and, and this is still going to be an issue um, when he leaves Leicester or, or if he leaves Leicester rather than when, but I think it is when rather than if, um, He's a real, real form player at times. Like he's had some absolute stinking runs at Leicester, as well as the amazing goals and assists that you're seeing at the moment. Like he can easily go 10, 15 games without contributing in the final third. Um, and if he, if the if the club's on a bit of a down swing, like you often see, Yuri struggling and his head goes down. He gets a little bit more kind of petulant. He'll pick up silly yellow cards and stuff. So potentially that's part of the reason why. I don't know how much that kind of plays into people's thoughts because what he produces in the final third when he's on his game is is unbelievable. So he's one of the best technicians I think we've ever had at the club. And we've had some amazing ones, especially in the recent years. So that's kind of relatively high praise for him. But yeah, I think that's the only reason I can see really the the price tag. I think was forty million when he moved to us, so like it's easily affordable at that point for a lot of European clubs of a bigger stature than ours. So I think it must just have been the temperament and the kind of the streaky form at that point, which to be fair is still a valid criticism. So it'll be interesting to see where he ends up in in a few months' time. Gotcha. Well, uh, if you'd been able to make it on in the last month or so, we could have talked about Brendan Rodgers and Shirley being about to lose his job. He's turned it around, though. So <laughs> I would have made myself look very silly by saying <laughs> how he was going to be gone at any given point. So I'm glad that maybe that didn't happen. Yep, yep. So the good news is the question for you today had nothing to do with Brendan Rodgers, who seems to have recovered uh, his standing within the club. Uh, Jake, we'll come to you now to talk about one of your players. It's probably the easiest topic anyone could have guessed uh, having you on, which uh, of course is about Miguel Almiron. He had scored nine goals in his Premier League Newcastle career. Uh, this year alone already has eight, which is just wild. We had a similar conversation last year, not really about the goals, but about Joel Linton's, uh shift into midfield. A year later, Eddie Howe has done it with a different player, with Almiron all of a sudden banging in the goals. I was just curious your thoughts this time on, on what's changed, what has kind of unlocked this potential in Almiron, who obviously came over uh, with a lot of expectation, especially from U.S.-based fans uh, after he tore up the MLS. Yeah, I think when we signed him, he was, he was playing a lot on the left, um, and he's not really played that in, in England at all. So um, I think there's been a, a shifted role for him that's taken time to adapt. I think the thing with, with Almiron, he looked so good in the first six months we had him under Benitez, he had that front three of, of Ayese Perez, um, Rondo and, and Almoron, and, and they really seemed to gel well together, playing really good football. He, he didn't score in those six months, but he was playing so well and was such a threat. And then Benitez left, and I think that really did cause problems for him. And Steve Bruce come in, and I think we, we've now seen over the, the last two years that Steve Bruce isn't a, a, a manager for the modern day. We saw the sort of regression with Newcastle and how poorly we're playing towards the end of his time in charge. And you know, we saw it again with West Brom. Uh, so it's not just Newcastle, it, it's happened with a couple of clubs now. So I think we that was a difficult time for him. I don't think we trained well enough and I don't think there was a, a defined tactical setup. And I think Almiron's definitely the type of player he needs that defined tactical role and he just didn't have it with Steve Bruce. He was sort of just put on the pitch and he, he ran around a lot, but just seemed to lack confidence in what he was doing. Um, now with how he didn't, he wasn't in the team to start with. Um, when Hal first came in, he, he sort of preferred Ryan Fraser 
he was playing quite well. Almiron was coming on the bench, uh, coming off the bench, playing a few games. But Fraser got injured. Almiron came in, and he seemed to. I think Hal really liked him. The way he presses. Um, we spoke about Kante earlier. I don't think Almiron's quite on the same level, but he covers a lot more ground than most forward players do, and he's so quick and so mobile when he does it that it does make quite a big difference when you try and play the way that we're playing. Um, so that's the first thing he's doing well. And the second thing, he's just got confidence. I think he's got, on that right-hand side, quite often have um, the three of them, sort of Trippier, Almiron and Bruno. And just the three of them as, as a trio, they just created so many good chances. They've got such a good link-up. And being a part of, part of that has been really good for him. He's so confident that he's going to get the service. And he makes runs that, the, the amount of times when there's a run one-two between Almiron, sort of passing it to Bruno, Bruno flips over the defence and Almiron gets gets in behind. It's happened a few times that obviously most um most famously against Fulham when he sort of popped it in the top corner first time volley, which is quite incredible. But yeah, it's happened a few times that it's, it's led to shots for him as well. I think he's confident. I mean he's got a defined role in the team. Um and the team are playing well, so every every player's sort of stepping off their game because they know that they it, when the team's playing well, if you want to be in the team, you've got to play well yourself. Um, so yeah, I think it's just there's a lot of factors. I don't think there's been many great changes in the way he's used. I just think he's he just knows exactly what's expected of him. He knows that he's got Trippier behind him. He's got a link up. He's got a defined role. Um, and yeah, that's just giving him confidence. Um, in preseason, he scored six. So if you, if you add that to his eight, he's he's been in good goal scoring form for a while. Obviously, you might not put much much into preseason friendlies but in this case we've seen a player do really well in preseason and carry that on into the into the Premier League season so yeah it's a lot of good things um, I think in the summer a lot of Newcastle fans would have wanted a new right winger to be signed um, obviously linked to Moussa Diaby from Leverkusen we obviously um, tried to get Madison from Leicester uh, and I think we'd have probably used him there so uh, it's, it's not being guaranteed that Almiron would have a role to play but they didn't manage to get that player in uh, they bought Isaac. Maybe if he didn't get injured, um, they would have played Wilson and Isaac together. But now, when Isaac comes back, he's gonna he's gonna find difficulty getting into the team. I think he's gonna have to rotate in, play off the bench, and and try and break into the team because Alma's playing so well, Wilson's doing so well, um, and obviously Saint Maximin sort of is the first choice on the left wing, even though he's he's been injured a bit during the first half of the season too. So, he's, I think it's Eddie Howe's just. I think what we've learned over the last. 12 months since he's taken the job. He's just a very, very good coach. Um, I don't think anybody really gave him the credit he deserved of getting Bournemouth from on the brink of bankruptcy and going into the non-league to the Premier League. I think that didn't quite get the applause he deserved. Um, maybe there's a little money, bit of money behind that, but and there's a little bit of money behind his latest success. But even so, he massively overachieved with Bournemouth. And at the moment, he's got a Newcastle squad. It's probably a top, top eight Premier League squad, maybe. Definitely a top eight Premier League team. Um, maybe not the squad yet. We've still got people like Jacob Murphy starting games. He's not really a, a top ten Premier League player. So yeah, he's, he's done really well with us as well. And he's obviously done very well with Jolinson and Armoron. So yeah, I think Eddie Howard deserves a lot of credit and still quite underrated uh, as a coach. Gotcha. Uh, if if I set the line at eleven and a half goals for this season, do you think Almiron hits the over? I think at the moment we have to say yes. Gotcha. Uh, all right, we will take that into Player Watch, where we're going to obviously still be talking about individual players. But now uh, for nationalities, I was just curious from you guys, which players you're most excited to watch at the World Cup? Got to be Messi, isn't it? In his 
potentially last, well, certainly his last World Cup, I'd imagine, but his last kind of major tournament. I think the fact that um, he's, you know, still one of, if not the best, I think is the player that I'm most excited to watch. And hopefully the fact that he's um, he's he's not carrying Barcelona on his shoulders every week um, means that he, he might have something in the tank for a winter World Cup, as Jake was kind of alluding to earlier, maybe that will lead to slightly better performances where players aren't super burnt out from full season going into the, the summer. So, yeah, got to be messy for me. Um, messy fanboy over here. So, got to, got to kind of plant my flag there. Uh, probably the answer is players that I'm not quite sure who they are yet. <laughs> it's always <laughs> just the thing with an international tournament. Um, but out of, out of players I do know uh, a lot about, I'd, I'd have to say Gareth Bale. I think that obviously he's gone away to the MLS. Uh, I think they won the MLS, did they? The MLS sure did, because he okay. scored like a 108th minute equaliser. <laughs> exactly. So he's got got a bit of form behind him, even though I don't think he's been playing too much. But um, I think his whole career has been built up to this. He's obviously always been very patriotic, very pro-Wales, um, playing in all the games uh, as, as, as long as he's fit. And he's now got them to the World Cup. This may be his last action in football, maybe. You know, there's been a lot of talk about him retiring. He's got that chance to go to the World Cup, play for Wales. I'm sure he'll play every game and I'm sure he'll push himself to, to limits that he probably doesn't have anymore to do that. Got the group game against England as well. Um, scored against England at the Euros um, six years ago. So, yeah, I think this is going to be a big tournament for him and I'm excited to see the Gareth Bell that we haven't really seen in must be four or five years now. Um, yeah, I think we're going to see a really motivated Gareth Bell. I think he brings out levels that he doesn't at club level when he plays for Wales. And I, yeah, I'm excited to see him. And, and I hope as long as England <laughs> goes through, I'd quite like to see Wales do well. Um, but I, I guess that's at the detriment of of the United States. So sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, I was like, hold on. <laughs> if, we're, if we're wanting England and Wales to go through, there's a very notable team that would struggle there. Although I can't say I'm filled with optimism coming into this World Cup. Uh, as an American, anyway. Uh, or as a Dutch fan, either. Neither really uh, <laughs> looking great heading into it. But, as Jim mentioned way earlier in the show, no tune-up games to find out, really. So, uh, we'll see how all of that goes. Uh, we'll wrap up with matches that we do know what will be happening. Obviously, uh, cup competition midweek. Uh, Jim, we'll start off with you. Uh, you're going to be hosting Newport County. I was just curious, what, what kind of strength squad do you think we're going to see? Is it going to just be the kids? Is it going to be a blend? What do you think? I think it will be a blend because of the fact we've not got European football um, this year. So I think there's an opportunity for some players to to state their claim. But also we we don't have like a massively in-depth squad. So I don't think we can completely rotate out um, a lot of players. I also think Rogers will probably attack the cup competitions a bit more this year than perhaps... I know we won the FA Cup a couple of years ago, so that's, that's rich to say. But when you've not got European football... Um, to, to consider, I think he can maybe be a little bit more aggressive with the Carabao Cup and the, the FA Cup. So hopefully a relatively strong team and another deep cup run awaits. Gotcha. And then Jake, unfortunate draw with another Premier League side in Crystal Palace. They've kind of been struggling, but then pulled off the win today. Are you hopeful heading into that? I think the thing is me and Jim on the last time it was the Carabao Cup, and we were both sort of talking about how this is the year that a, a team outside the top six could win it. I still think that, and uh, I still think it's a great opportunity to win a trophy. But now I'm like, God, we've got Chelsea at the weekend. Do we do we try and consolidate ourselves in the top four? Focus on the top four. Now? Focus on the top yeah. four. 
Crazy. I think I'd still. I'd, I think if you're if you're for me now, top four or winning the Carabao Cup, I'd probably say winning the cup. But um, yeah, um, it's a tough one. I think we're going to see some rotation, and um, because I, we do play quite an intense style of football. Um, I think we've got. I think we're up there for the most amount of injuries, considering we don't have European football. That's a, a little bit of a worry. So, but then we have players like John Joe Shelby. He's not been a starting game, so I'm sure he'll play. Tate Maximin hasn't been starting games. So I'm sure he'll come in from the start. So. We still have players that will come in and, and do well. And I think that just, I just think the feel good factor around Newcastle at the moment and a home game. We haven't lost at home yet this season. Um, we played Palace in the Premier League in this park already. It was a nil nil, but we created so many big chances in that game. We should have won the game. We had a, a goal that was very controversially disallowed by VAR. So, um, yeah, I think we, we might have a little bit of a, a score to settle there. And I think we'll win. Um, but I'm interested to see how Eddie Howe approaches it because his team second is going to tell a lot about what the club thinks is going to happen this season. Gotcha. All right. Well, that'll do it for us today. So if you guys would like to tell folks where they can find you or anything cool you're working on, now would be a good time. Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, I think, Jim, you can find me on Twitter at Jim Knight Tweets. Yeah, cheers for listening. Uh, you can get me on Twitter at JimSackman2Ns. I'll do some stuff at EPL Index still. And... Um, I'm involved with a Newcastle website called YI Scout. Um, we've had a couple of, of pieces published on the club's official twi- uh, club's official website as well. So one on Miggy Almiron and one on Kieran Trippier. So yeah, quite exciting stuff. So give give YI Scout a follow and also check out the pieces we've done on the on the Newcastle website. Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. You can find the show on Twitter at EPL Roundtable and you can find it on any of your podcast services by searching EPL Roundtable. Uh, Thanks to these two so much for joining me today. Folks at home, we have to keep listening. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.